Now we're going to get into the word of the Lord and after all of this exciting, high-powered, top-notch, exceeding, abundantly, bountiful preaching, we're just going to, we're going to have some Bible study here tonight. We're going to have some Bible study here tonight. And... Um, so turn with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And beginning with verse number 14. Thank you to all of you that are here. Those that are listening online. Thank you as well. Thank you Brother Larson for just doing what you feel tonight and leading the service. Amen. I want God's glory. I want His glory. And the way to see His glory is to give Him glory. Well, praise God. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse number 14. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, lays some things out very plainly. He says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? These are, these are rhetorical questions. In other words... Although he's asking a question, he's not really expecting an answer because the answer is obvious. We don't have to respond. We know what everybody knows what the answer is. What fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? None. That's clear, that's understood. It, it can go unstated because everybody ought to understand that. What communion does light have with darkness? None. The minute there is light, the darkness is gone. They don't coexist. Christ and Belial don't get along. There's, there's no concord there. And so what part does he that believe have with an infidel? None. And what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? None. This, these, things, these things, the questions are so simple. That even a new convert ought to understand the answer. Now, the, the reason I'm stressing this is because somehow modern Christianity has forgotten that these answers ought to be this simple. And suddenly... They want to bring darkness into the midst of light. 
And they want Christ and Belial to have some concord. And they want to bring their idolatry into the house. of They don't call it idolatry. But it is. They worship other things and other things become more important to them than God. And anything that becomes more important than God is an idol. That's right. It's that simple. I, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. And I know that you're standing. Now look, I hope these guys didn't spoil you. Well, quit having store conference if it's going to spoil you. But, but look, whenever something is more important to you than God, that's an idol. And so when you know you ought to be in the house of God, now I'm not talking about sickness. I'm not talking about mandatory work. I'm not... Please don't, don't make me have to explain everything I'm saying. But, but when, when you'd rather go to a ball game than come to church, there's a problem there. There's a problem there. When, help me, Jesus. When you want to pattern your life after some movie star instead of after the people of God and the things of God, there's a problem there. What, what fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? All right. So let's, let's get back to our text here. I'm... I'm already preaching and haven't even finished my text. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God said, I'm going to dwell in you. Therefore, you become the temple of God. Where are you taking God's temple? What are you doing with God's temple? What are you setting in front of God's temple? <clears throat> I will be their God, they shall be my people. Verse 17, wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Now, as you can see, the word thing is in italics. I've explained to you that Anytime you see in your King James Bible a word that's been italicized, the reason it's there is because the translators wanted you to know this word does not appear in the original. 
the translators felt like it would help to clarify the statement if they added it, but they wanted you to know it didn't originally appear there. And really, in this case, I don't know that it clarified things so much as it, as it muddied the waters. Because to say, touch not the unclean thing, makes it sound like there's one thing that's unclean. But the statement that Paul made was, touch not the unclean. So anything that would be considered unclean, don't touch it. Not just one specific thing, but anything that's unclean. Don't touch it. And then God says, I'll receive you. If, if you'll come out from among them, if you'll be separate, if you'll refuse to touch what's unclean, then God said, I'll receive you. Isn't this interesting? Because, and again, I know you're standing, but, but because so much of the church world today tells us we've got to receive Jesus into our heart. We hear God saying, look, there are qualifications on me receiving you. And then he goes on, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Did you get that? If, if you'll come out from among them, if you'll be separate, if you'll refuse to touch what's unclean, then, he said, then I'll receive you and will be a father to you. And I'll call you my sons and daughters if you'll meet these conditions. Then I can call you my children. That's right. You know, we, we, we just, and I'm going to let you be seated here in just a moment, but we, looking through these old pictures and the slides they put up on the wall and, and, and different ones were saying, man, I see Camden in, in, in that picture and I see Dalton in that picture, and and I said, you know, I, to me, I see Reagan in this picture, and I, and 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 why? Why is it that children and grandchildren? It's it's genetic, and and the the appearance just gets handed down. I I don't want to embarrass him, but I I don't think it will. But you know, Josh lived for several years without even knowing who his biological dad was. But the first time I saw the two of them together, I said, I could have figured this out. Because they look so much alike. It's just a fact. Why? Because that's the way genetics work. And there are spiritual genetics. And you can't claim God as your father if you look nothing like him. There's got to be a resemblance, a family resemblance. So tonight, uh, we are continuing on in our series. We've been, we've been teaching a series. As I told you, I'm in the process of writing another book. And uh, the book is, is on understanding separation. And that is the title of this series. 
what we are going to start into tonight and maybe, maybe, maybe finish, maybe finish. But I don't know as far as I've gone on the text already. I don't know. But maybe finish tonight. Uh, we, we are going to try to deal with what should be chapter 3. This is lesson 3 then. Um, that I am entitling Be Ye Separate. Be Ye Separate. That's a commandment. Not from me, from God. Be Ye Separate. So, having said that, let's put our Bibles down. Let's lift our hands, lift our voices. Let's ask God to talk to us tonight. I need His help tonight. Let's, let's talk to him together right now. Jesus, I love you. I praise you, God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your goodness. I thank you, Lord, for what you put upon my heart. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to speak through me tonight. I need the touch of the Holy Ghost. God, I pray somehow give me wisdom and insight, God, into your word. God, I pray, O oh Lord, tonight, Jesus, speak to this people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's thank him right now, everybody. Let's give God some praise before we're seated. Let's give him praise. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, <clears throat> I have, I have, uh, explain to you in the past that we cannot just throw away the Old Testament. Though some people want to do that. Um, they do it without a real understanding of the significance of the Old Testament. And, and the fact that when it comes to the apostles, they had nothing else from which to teach. They didn't have any other Bible. They were living and writing the New Testament. And so anything they preached, they had to pull it from the Old Testament. And therefore, anything we believe ought to be based in the Old Testament. Now, now I, I've, I've taught before, and I'm not going to take the time to go through it tonight. You know, we, we've got to rightly divide the word of truth, and we've got to understand the difference between the moral law, the civil law, the ceremonial law. We, we, we've got to sort all that out as we go through the scriptures. I'm not going to take time to do all of that tonight. But just suffice it to say that, that the, the Old Testament is the foundation for the church. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians that we are built upon the foundation not just of the apostles, but of the apostles and the prophets. Now what does that mean? The apostles refers to the New Testament. The prophets refers to the Old Testament. We're built on the foundation of both the Old and New Testament with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So having said that, let's go back and look at an Old Testament principle. In fact, more than just a principle, it really was a mandate. As we look at the Old Testament, the scriptures clearly declare that from the very beginning, God has intended for his people to be different from anybody else. God never wanted his people to just blend in with the rest of the world. Never. Never. 
From the very beginning, there needed to be a difference. And God made that clear. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now this is the way the world was. Right. Right? This is how the rest of the world was. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Kind of sounds like 2023 to me, but. Read. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. God was grieved at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast. And the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. I'm just going to do a hard reset. <laughs> I, I'm erasing everything that's down there. Sure did. I'm done with them. Right. Oh, my. They've pushed me to the limit. Yeah, God does have limits. Sure does. And he said, I'm done. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the but Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, why did God extend grace to Noah? Why did God decide, I'm not going to destroy Noah? Right. Did God just look down and just close his eyes and... Spin the wheel and say, okay, stop, don't Noah. All right, I'm going to save you. Was Noah as wicked as the rest of the world? Was Noah as evil as the rest of the world? But, but because of grace, God just overlooked it. No, sir. No, not at all. Let's read on. What does verse 9 say? These are the generations, These are the of, generations Noah. of Noah. Noah was a Noah just man. Noah was a just man. And perfect and in his generation. And perfect in his generations. And Noah, and Noah walked, walked with, God. with God. You want to know why Noah found grace? Because Noah was different from everybody else. Noah wasn't like the rest of the world whose, whose thoughts were only evil continually. No, no, no. Noah was a man that was walking with God. Noah was a man that was living differently than everybody else. That's why Noah found grace. That's why God put his hand on Noah and decided I'm not destroying Noah. I'll destroy the rest of the world. But here's a man that's doing what's right. Back later in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter calls him a preacher of righteousness. He not only was living righteously, he was preaching it to everybody else. That's why Noah found grace. Does that say anything to us? Does that speak to us at all? Listen, he said, I'm the Lord, I change not. There's not an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. He's still the same God. Noah found grace in a wicked and perverse generation because Noah 
lived right and walked with God. And you want to know how we're going to find grace in this generation? In the exact same way that Noah did. We've got to make up our minds. We're not going to be like the rest of the world. Everybody else may be ungodly, but we're not going to be ungodly. I'm ahead of myself, but, but this, is, this is the way it's been from the beginning. Look, we, we go on just a few chapters. God starts dealing with a man called Abraham. And you know what is the first thing that God says to Abraham? You have any clue what's the first thing God says to Abraham? Let's go to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, The Lord said to Abram, Get thee out of thy get country. Get out of thy country. And from thy kindred. Get away from your kindred. And from thy father's leave house. Leave your father's house. Unto a land that I will show thee. And go to a land I'm going to show you. And I will make and thee a great nation. And then I'll make you a great nation. And I will bless and thee. I'll bless you. Make thy I'll name great. I'll make your name great. Thou shalt be a blessing. And you're going to be a blessing. And I will bless and them that bless thee. I'm going to bless them that bless you. And curse him I'll that curses curse thee. I'll curse those that curse you. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed like to focus on that great promise God made but it all started with this Abraham you want to be blessed you're going to have to get out of where you are you're going to have to separate yourself even from your own family that's right God didn't say now Abraham just tiptoe around the family and don't offend them and don't upset them just just try to keep them happy don't. no 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 God said Abraham you want my blessing get out of there in fact, history tells us that they were a bunch of idolaters. They, they were polytheists that worshiped many gods. And God said, there's only one God. And you're going to have to get out of that. You're going to have to leave that. Leave your father's house and follow me. I'm going to take you somewhere the rest of them aren't going. But you've got to separate yourself to get there. Well, I feel like preaching tonight. God looked for a man that was living separately when he decided to destroy the earth, to destroy the earth, and God spared that man. God looked for a man that was willing to separate himself. And every promise, every promise that God made comes down through the lineage of Abraham. Why? Because Abraham separated himself from the rest of the world. Well, praise God. And that was God's continual commandment throughout history. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I, the Lord your God, for I am the Lord your God. And, and, and we'll talk about what it means to sanctify yourself. We're going to talk about all that um, before the lesson is over. Maybe not before the night is over, but before the lesson's over. We're coming back to Leviticus 20 verse 7. But just understand this, that here is a command from God that you must be holy because I'm holy. You have to sanctify yourself. I'll just tell you now, the word sanctify means to set apart. You've got to be set apart because I'm a holy God. 
Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 18 and 19. And the Lord hath avouched thee this day to be his peculiar people, as he hath promised thee. No, no, no. Now, the word peculiar here doesn't mean odd. It means unique. Bishop Johnson touched on this the other night. But, but this word peculiar, if you go back to the original, it means unique. It is peculiar to God. It is unique to God. He said, God has avouched thee this day to be his unique people. My, my, my. Read. As he hath promised thee, uh -huh. that thou shouldest keep all his commandments. Now, this is how you're going to be peculiar. You're going to keep God's commandments. Read. And to make thee high above all nations, which he hath made. Right. In praise. In praise. And in name. In name and in honor, in honor. And that thou mayest be an so holy So that people. you can be a holy people. Unto the Lord thy God, as he hath spoken. Oh, yeah. You know, the name it and claim it crowd, they like all this where he's going to give you a name and praise and honor and, and, and he's going to raise you up all that. But listen, God said the only way that's going to happen is you're going to have to be a holy people unto God. You're going to have to live a separated life. If you want my blessings, you're going to have to live the way I tell you to live. We can't get away from that, saints of God. We cannot get away from that. And these are only two, because out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. These are only two of the many Old Testament commands that are given that the people of God had to be separate. And it didn't end with the Old Testament. It's repeated in the New Testament. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. But as he which hath called you is as holy. As he which hath called you is holy. So be ye so holy, be holy in all manner of conversation. Right. Because it because is written. Because it's written. Be ye holy. Be ye holy. For I am holy. And we're going to come back to this verse again. We're going to come back to Leviticus 20 and 7. We're coming back to 1 Peter 1. I'll talk more about that. I just want to show you that there is also a New Testament mandate that the people of God must be holy. 2 Corinthians 6 verses 17 and 18. We read it as part of our text, but let's read it again. Wherefore come out from among them come out from among them and be separate be saith the lord separate saith the lord and touch not the Don't unclean touch thing, what is unclean and i will receive and that's you that's how i'll receive you and i will be, and a, I'll father be a father unto you. to you you shall and be, my, be sons my sons and daughters, and daughters saith the lord saith almighty the lord. hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 follow peace with follow all men peace with and all holiness. men and holiness without, without which, which no, no man shall see, see the lord, lord. kind of sounds like it's necessary Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. For the grace of God. Oh, that yeah, let's talk about grace. Because, see, the, 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 the church world today, it's all about grace. It's all about grace. So God doesn't require anything of us anymore because his grace just covers us. Well, let's listen to what the Bible says about grace. The grace of God. That bringeth bring salvation, salvation hath appeared, has appeared to, to all men, men teaching whoa, us that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Grace is not something that overlooks Grace is something that teaches. Right. Come on. Yes, sir. Mama. Grace doesn't turn a blind eye. Grace teaches us something. And you know what it teaches us? Read. Denying ungodliness. It teaches us that we ought to deny ungodliness. And worldly lust. That we ought to deny worldly lust. We should live that soberly. That we need to live soberly. Righteously. We should live righteously. We should live godly in this, in present, this world. present world. That's what grace does. 
Grace teaches us to live right. Grace doesn't say just go ahead and live like you want to and I'll cover for you. Grace teaches us to do what God commands us to do. Why? Looking for that blessed hope. Yeah. And the glorious appearing appearing of the great God and our Savior, Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Not two separate persons. The great God and our Savior. Right. Who is the great God and our Savior? Jesus Christ. That's who. He is both God and our Savior. But here's the point. Here's why grace teaches us to live righteously. Because Jesus is coming again. And you want to know who he's coming back for? He's coming back for those who live a separated life. He's coming back for those who live righteously and soberly and godly in this present world. That's who he's coming back for. This is New Testament. So let's talk about this. What does it mean to live separately? What, what, what does it mean? Because, see, again, there are people who would agree with what I'm saying, and they would say, well, what that means is the rest of the world tells lies, so you shouldn't tell lies. And, and, and the rest of the world hates people, and you shouldn't hate people. Well, you know, that's true. But that's not all that's involved. These people will tell you it has nothing to do with our outward appearance. God doesn't care about our outward appearance. Well, I want to refute that scripturally tonight. Let's start with Matthew 23, verses 25 through 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, Pharisees. hypocrites, Hypocrites. for ye make clean the outside of the cup Uh and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. All right, now now don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. I want to tell you that it is extremely important that we get the inside right. The problem with the Pharisees, they had the outside right, but that's all they did. Look, you can study your scriptures. Go go home and study. Prove me wrong. I challenge you to prove me wrong. Jesus never condemned the outward appearance of the Pharisees. Never. He never said, don't live the way you're living. And don't look the way you look. He never said that. He just said, all you've done is take care of the outside only. And you can't do that. You got to take care of the inside too. You may clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Right. Read. Thou blind Pharisee. You blind Pharisee. Cleanse first that which is within the cup. Within the cup. And platter. And the platter. That the outside of them may be clean. Oh, see, do you see what I'm telling you? He's not saying don't worry about the outside. He said if you'll clean the inside, then it's going to be reflected on the outside. If you'll take time to make sure the inward man is right, then you'll make sure the outward man is right. It is possible. 
possible to cleanse the outside and leave the inside dirty. But I submit to you it's impossible to clean the inside and leave the outside dirty. If the outside is dirty, there's something dirty on the inside. Yes, sir. Amen, amen, amen. Yes, sir. That's what Jesus is saying. Read. Woe unto you, Woe scribes, unto you and Pharisees, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You hypocrites. For you like unto you're, whited, you're sepulchers, like whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful, beautiful outward, outwardly, but are within, but within full, you're of, full dead of dead men's, men's bones and of all, and all uncleanness. uncleanness. So, so I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's not enough to simply have the outside right. Right. But neither is it enough to just have the inside right. I don't even believe you can do that scripturally. You can't just have the inside right and it not affect the outside. Yes, sir. Let me show you something here. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Now, we were in 2 Corinthians 6 for our text. I want to go to 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. What does it say? What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which is in you, which ye have of you God, have it because God gave it to you, and ye are not your you own. You don't belong to yourself. For ye are bought with a price. You've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify Therefore, God in your to body. This. Listen to this. Glorify God. How? In your body. In your body. And in your spirit. And in your spirit. Which are God's. Which are God's. All right. So he tells us there's two things that have to bring glory to God. Your spirit has to. That's the inside. Yeah. Right. But your body's got to bring glory. That's the outside. Right. Yes, sir. And then what does he say? Did I give you the next verse? No, um, yes, yes, Second Corinthians 7 and 1. What does it say? Having therefore these, Having promises, therefore these promises, dearly beloved, dearly beloved let, us let us cleanse ourselves, ourselves from, all filthiness from all filthiness of the flesh, of the flesh and spirit. And spirit, there Perfect. it is again, there it is again, the flesh and spirit, the body and spirit. And then what does he say? Perfecting Perfecting holiness holiness in the fear of God. In the fear of God. Listen to me. It's not perfect holiness if it doesn't encompass both the spirit and the flesh. Right. Well, I got to have a right spirit because that's what holiness is. No, that's only part of holiness. And just dressing right and looking right on the outside. That's only part of holiness. But perfect holiness. You understand the word perfect in the New Testament. The Greek word means complete. So complete holiness is when you've got the inside right and you've got the outside right. But if you've only got one or the other, you don't have complete holiness. Well, praise God. Perfect holiness, complete holiness, involves both cleansing the inside and the outside. Now, I, I, again, just let me issue a challenge, just in case anybody, anybody thinks otherwise. I, I, I feel very confident, Brother Hilton, that people can go to our website go through the messages that I preach, the lessons that I teach, and see that I spend much more time dealing with the inner man than I do the outer man. 
I think that I can say that confidently. I spend a lot more time dealing with the inner man than I do the outer man. But we cannot neglect the outer man. I'm going to prove that to you. And I know, I know, I, I know the favorite scripture of everybody. We're going to get to that one in just a minute. God looks on the heart. I'm going to get to that. We're going to get to that. All right? In fact, we'll just, we'll just go there now. 1 Samuel 16, 7. Let's just deal with this. Let's get this. Let, let's address this. Uh, what do they say? The elephant in the room. We're going, to, we're going to devour this elephant. You know how to eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. We're going to devour this elephant here tonight. The elephant in the room. God looks at the heart. All right, let's look at the scripture that says that. Uh, this, this comes to us from 1 Samuel, which, you know, that's amazing to me because these same people who want to take you and say that God only looks at the heart, they don't like anything the Old Testament says. But it's interesting. I mean, last time I checked, 1 Samuel's in the Old Testament. So either let's take the whole Old Testament or let's not take any of it. But don't pick and choose what verses you like and ignore the others. Right. So, all right, read for me. But the Lord said unto the Samuel. The Lord said to Samuel. Look not on his look countenance. Look not on his countenance. Or on the height of his stature. Or on the height of his stature. Because I have refused him. I have refused him. For the Lord seeth the Lord not seeth as man not seeth. Man seeth. For man looketh, For man on, the looketh outward on the outward appearance. But the Lord looketh on the heart. But the Lord looketh on the heart. All right, so here it is. Does the Bible say that? Yes. Do I believe that? Yes. But let's take the verse in context. Does anybody know what's going on in 1 Samuel 16? Do what? Choosing a king. God's rejected Saul, and he sends Samuel to the house of Jesse. Now, he doesn't tell Samuel which of Jesse's sons is going to be king, just that one of them will be. So, they start with the oldest, and they parade him by the prophet. And the prophet looks at the first one. Now, remember... At this point, Israel's had one king, right? And you know what the Bible says about that one king when he was chosen? You know what stood out about Saul? He was head and shoulders above everyone else. Saul was a big man. Saul had the physique of a king. And so that's the only reference point Samuel's got. So in walks David's oldest brother and Samuel says, hmm. Looks like a king. He looks kind of kingly. He's got the physique. He's got... And God said, don't look at his countenance. Don't look at his facial features. Nor on the height of his stature. Now, at what point does God say, don't look at his clothes? God's not talking about clothes here, is he? He has nothing, this has nothing to do with clothing. This is choosing a king and God said, uh-uh, no, no, no. Our first king met the qualifications physically. 
but he missed them spiritually. But the next king's not going to be like that. So don't look at his countenance. Don't look at his facial features. And don't look at his physique. Because I've refused this one. Because see, God's not looking for a king the way you are. Because you're just looking at his outward appearance. But God said, I'm looking at his heart. What was the thing that the Bible repeatedly has said about David? That he was a man after God's own heart. God was not looking at David's physique. In fact, David, according to most historians, was only about 15 or 16 years old at this point. So there's nothing kingly. You know what a 16-year-old boy looks like? Stand up, Kaiser. You know... He's a fine-looking specimen for 16. But I wouldn't elect him president right now. Thank you. You can be seated. I, I, I wouldn't make him king right now. Now, I know grandma and grandpa might, but, but, um, but I won't. And I don't think anybody else would. I mean, at 16... Generally, they're, 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 they're just at that, I'm sorry, Kaiser, but I'm just telling the truth tonight. They're, they're at that awkward stage, kind of tripping over themselves. and I mean, just there's a lot about them at that age that is not very kingly. And so here is God saying in the choice of a king, I'm not looking at his physique. And I'm not looking at his facial features. I'm looking at his heart. In the choosing of a king. You can't take this verse and apply it to anything other than that. Now there is the statement that God looks on the heart. That's true. But I'm going to show you that that's not all that God looks at. God doesn't only look on the heart. I'm going to prove it in the scripture. He doesn't only look at the heart. That's what impressed God in the choosing of the next king. But this has nothing to do with the way we look today. All right? To try to apply it to that is to take the scripture totally out of context. Let me prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you. Here's another bite of this elephant. Let me prove it to you. Let's go back again to the very beginning. Does anybody remember one of the basic rules of biblical interpretation is the law of first mention? Right? Right? Everybody remember that? If you don't know what I'm talking about, um, get my book on the new birth. I go through it in that book. I explain that the first time the Bible mentions something, there's always something more significant about the first mention. God will give us some detail or some, uh, some information about a subject the first time it appears. So what I'm going to tell you is, we want to, if we want to know about this whole clothing deal and the outward appearance of a person, let's go to the first time it's mentioned. 
And you know the first time it's mentioned? All the way back to the Garden of Eden, the first man and woman. Now, I'm going to take these verses, I'm going to take these verses a little out of the order that they're in here. So I apologize to um, Sister Jasmine and to Brother Goff, but it should be an easy problem for Brother Goff to resolve. We're just going to, we're going to go to Genesis 3 and 7 first, and then we're going to get Genesis 3.21. So Genesis 3 and 7, read that for me. And the eyes of them both were open. So as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, their eyes were opened. And they knew that they, they were naked. they knew that they were naked. Up until this point, they didn't realize that they were naked. Right. Now, I can't prove this to you. This is strictly my opinion. I've always told you when I can't prove something that I would, I would explain this is my opinion. You can take it for what it's worth, which may not be anything. But I believe that up until this point, they were clothed with the glory of God. I believe God's glory enshrouded them. But the moment they sinned, God's glory departed. And they're no longer clothed with his glory. And now they realize we're naked. And so what did they do about their nakedness? And they sewed fig leaves together. They sewed together fig leaves together. And made themselves and made aprons. Themselves, now wait a minute. They made themselves what? Aprons. They made what? Aprons. Aprons. You know, look, words mean things. Right? Words mean things. And, and you've got to pay attention. We can just read through this passage and not even realize there's, there's something significant about this. They took fig leaves, sewed them together, and made aprons. This word aprons in the original Hebrew actually means um, it means a girdle that covered the loins. All right, so, so they had something around their waist that was just long enough to cover up the private areas. That's what, that's what the word means. They made aprons that would conceal the nakedness but that's all it did. But then we go to verse 21 and we see what God does. In verse 21, listen to what the Bible says. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make coats of skin. Oh, now God didn't make aprons. No, sir. No, sir. He made coats of skins. And clothe them. Now look, if all, and I know people say, well, the reason why God did this is because there had to be shedding of blood. He could have made aprons and shed blood. Right? right? He could have made the very same garment they made, but made it out of skins and shed blood. But there's something else. God didn't make aprons. God made coats. And you can look this up in the original and the Hebrew here. The word actually means a tunic. Now, do you know what a tunic is? Look that word up. Here's what you'll find. A tunic is a simple slip-on garment that is usually knee length or longer. Well, isn't that interesting? 
that God didn't just make them aprons that would just cover the bare nakedness, but God gave them garments to fully clothe them and make them modest. Obviously, the fig leaves were not modest enough for God. Now, let me ask you, who's in the garden at this point? Who's there? Who's there? It's just Adam, Eve, and God. But God was setting a precedent. This is the first mention. When God made clothes, he made them modest. When God created garments for Adam and Eve, they didn't just cover the bare necessities. God made them modest. First mention, that's significant. That's the way God sees clothing. That's the kind of clothing God approved of. God didn't approve of their aprons. It wasn't just because they didn't shed any blood. Or he could have made aprons of skins. But he made tunics of skins. Well, praise God. Nobody else there but the man and his wife and God. So God must have been concerned in wanting to make a clear statement from this day forward when you clothe yourself. When there are others around, you make sure it's modest. Well, Ooh, I still got a long ways to go. I really hoped I would finish this tonight. Um, so obviously there was much more to God's decision to replace the fig leaf aprons with animal skin tunics because the way they chose to cover themselves was obviously not adequately modest to please God. Well, let's go on, because out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, right? So, Ze Zechariah chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments, and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments Take from him. Take away the him. filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, Behold. I have caused thy iniquity to pass from thee, uh -huh. and I will clothe thee and with I'm a change clothe you of raiment. With a change of raiment. And I said, Let him set a fair mitre upon his head, so that they set a fair mitre upon his head, and clothed him with garments, and the angels of the Lord stood by. And so here is Joshua. Now this is not... The Joshua that led the children of Israel into the promised land. This is Joshua, the high priest at this time. And the high priest came in and he had on certain garments and they were dirty. And God said, you're not going to wear dirty clothes to serve me. God said, I'm going to put the right clothing on you. Now, look, this is all a matter of serving God. You say, well, God doesn't care. Oh, yes, he does. God does care 
about the way that we're dressed when we serve him. And we ought to be serving him from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. It's not just a matter of walking into his tabernacle. But we ought to be serving him every hour of every day. We're serving God. And God cares about the way we look when we're serving him. Let's consider another one here. Let's go to the New Testament now. How about Mark chapter 5, verse number 15? Now, the story of Mark 5, this is where Jesus uh, and the disciples have come through the storm and they've landed on the shores of Gadara and there's a man running among the tombs, demon-possessed, a legion of demons in him. That was a Roman term. and Mark is writing to a Roman audience. And, and that term legion uh, meant at least 2,000. There were at least 2,000 demons living inside of that man. And he was running naked among the tombs. But when the men of the city came, look at what they find. Mark 5.15. And they came, come to Jesus and see him that was possessed That's with now, the now devil. Look, look, that was possessed, past tense. He used to be possessed. He's not now. And had the legion he had sitting the legion, and clothed. But now he's sitting and he's what? Clothed. He's what? Clothed. Where did those clothes come from? I don't think Jesus was carrying a backpack. I don't know what happened. I don't know how it happened. I have no idea what was going on. But this much I know, Jesus said, look, we've cast that devil out of you, but we got something else we got to take care of. You got to get some clothes on, man. You're going to tell me he only looks at the heart? I don't believe that. He wasn't just looking at the... This man had been delivered from 2,000 demons, but that was not enough for Jesus. He said, we got to get some clothes on this man. Right, right. I submit to you, I'm convinced that the more influenced a person is by the power of hell, the more of their body they choose to expose. Well, it didn't quite go over like I expected it to. I, I'm telling you, I believe that the devil causes people to expose their bodies. Just this week on the White House lawn. I'm going to tell you what's going on with all that. It's demonic. You hear me? It's demonic. There are demons involved in all of that. And I know, I know the day's coming. That's going to be considered hate speech to say what I just said. Well, it is hate speech. It's not hate for a person, it's hate for the devil. And hate for what the devil causes. And hate for the sin that the devil brings about. I'm telling you, when you get full of the Holy Ghost, which, which by the way, you ever thought about the fact that the Bible calls it the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit? It's not the love spirit. Right. 
though it brings love. It's not the joy spirit, though it brings joy. But the main title for the spirit that indwells the saint is the Holy Spirit. That's why when David sinned, his prayer was, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He wasn't talking about a third person in the Godhead. David would say, look, what I did was horrible. It was terrible. It was sinful. It was nasty. God, please don't, don't let me lose that spirit that's, that's trying to make me live holy. If I lose that, I've lost it all. It is a Holy Spirit that causes us to want to live holy. Let me give you another Exodus 28 and 2. I've only got a couple minutes, but I really, I'm, I'm getting down towards the end here. I think I can finish this if you'll give me just a few moments. Exodus 28, verse 2. And thou shalt make holy garments for make Aaron. Make holy garments. Now listen, God is referring here to holy garments. Everyone say holy garments. Holy garments. How do we define holy garments? Well, God defines it for us. Read. For Aaron thy brother, for glory. For glory. And for beauty. And for beauty. Do you ever, did, did, did you ever notice the order of these adjectives? The first thing is dress for glory. For whose glory? Not yours. Help me, Jesus. Um, you know, it, it, it bothers me. It does bother me. I, I can't figure out why people need $12,000 dresses and $2,000 shoes. and I can't even figure out why they need a $550 belt. I've talked about that several times. I can't figure that out. Why do you need all of that? That's not, you're not giving glory to God with all of that. It's pride. I'm sorry, it's pride. You're not giving glory to God. The Bible says holy garments will first of all give glory to God. And then secondly, you can consider beauty. So it's not just about what looks good, but what will give glory to God. If it's tight fitting, sheer, exposes your body. Is that giving glory to God? No. The first requirement for holy garments is that they are for God's glory. And then we can consider, you know, somebody said, well, well, I don't want to look like, what they say, little house on the prairie. I don't want to look like we're, you know, way back in the 1800s. Nobody said you have to. Nobody said you have to. What you wear can be beautiful. It can be nice. But the first consideration ought to be, does it bring God glory or does it bring attention to me? I don't want people looking at me. That's why I'm so uncomfortable with all, and I, and I, I please don't misunderstand. I appreciate every kind thing that was said. But I am so uncomfortable in all of that. I, I just, I don't want people looking at me. I want people looking at him. Right. 
I want the focus to be on Jesus. Anything that I am, anything I ever become, anything I ever accomplish, can accomplish, it's because God allows me to. I, he's the one that deserves all the glory. He's the one that deserves all the honor. He deserves all the praise. Dress for glory first and then for beauty. If, if this is not important, if the outward appearance is not important, why did God inspire the apostles to address it so many times? In the New Testament. Let's do this quickly. 1 Timothy 2, uh, verses 8 through 10. My time is up, but give me just a couple more minutes and I'll be done. 1 Timothy 2, verses 8 through 10. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, Without wrath and doubting, uh -huh. in like manner also that yeah. women adorn themselves. So, so look, 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 this is not this is not singling out the women. You look at the first part of verse nine, in like manner also. So whatever he's about to say for the women applies back to the men when he said holy hands to the men. He's now just explaining this is what I want for everybody. Men, women, doesn't matter. Right. Yes, sir. In Christ, there's no difference, right? It's yes, what Paul said. So so we're not singling out women but but this is what he said what does god expect this is new testament right in like manner also that women adorn themselves adorn themselves in modest, apparel. modest modest apparel god cares yes he does shame with shamefacedness we'll explain all of these in future lessons i don't have time tonight but shamefacedness and sobriety sobriety not with broided hair now that word is not braided it's broided we'll talk about there is a difference between braided and broided Amen. the word broided comes from the same root as embroider think about that we'll explain it later but it's this is not braided hair but broided hair or or gold, gold or, pearls, or pearls or costly or array costly array don't do those things that's new testament sounds to me like god cares about our outward appearance right read but with, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Good works. All right, First Peter. That was Paul writing. Now let's go to Peter. First Peter chapter three. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. First Peter chapter three verses three through five. Whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning. Or let it be the outward adorning of plating the hair. And of wearing of gold or a putting on of apparel. Yeah, same thing as what Paul's saying. Plating the hair is the same as broidered hair. Same thing. Don't wear gold. Read. Or a putting on of apparel. Uh -huh. But let it be the let hidden, be man, the hidden of the man of the heart. And that which is not corruptible. Right. Even the ornament you of a You want to know meek, what kind of ornaments God allows? And a quiet the spirit. The ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit. Which is in the sight of God. That's the ornamentation God allows. Of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the this holy is what women he said. also. This is the way they've always done it. My, my, my. Right. That's the way it's always been done, Brother Mullins. You look back into the ages, that's the way they looked back then. That's the way we ought to look today. Right. It's how they adorn themselves. Who trusted in God, adorned yes. themselves, yes. being in subjection unto their own husbands. We'll see. Those of you that go with us to Israel next year, you're going to be amazed at, at, at just how much you see those, those, those Orthodox Jewish women, those devout Jewish women and, and, and men. You're going to see how much they look just like one God apostolics today. Right. Yes, sir. 
other than, other than certain traditions which the rabbis introduced after the Bible. They started introducing some of these things with these long dreadlocks on the side of their head. That, that's not found in the Bible. It has nothing to do with the Bible. That was a, a rabbinic teaching after the scriptures were written. But look beyond that. And you'll see how much they look like us. And that's the way it ought to be. We're not following the fads of Hollywood. Peter said the same way that, 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 that those of old, in old times, he used that phrase, in old times. Those who, who did this in old times. We ought to be doing the exact same thing today because God doesn't change. All right, so, conclusion. I am coming to a close. Musicians, come. In our very first lesson in this series, I talked about God's premier characteristic. And, and if you were not here to hear that, you can go to our website, download it, you can find it. Uh, the first lesson in this series, um, we, we talked about God's premier characteristic. And the premier characteristic of God is His holiness. It is first and foremost, the first thing about him is his holiness. And it's because of that that we are commanded to be holy. Let's read again Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Now, I want you to notice the connection between sanctifying yourself and being holy. The, right. the reason there's a connection here, the word sanctify simply means set apart. Set yourselves apart and be holy. The word holy means separate. Separate yourselves and be separate. Don't be like the rest of the world. Don't try to act like the rest of the world. Don't try to live like the rest of the world. Let's go back. Let's read 1 Peter 1. This is my last passage of scripture 1st Peter 1 verses 15 and 16 but as he which hath called you as is he holy which hath called you as holy so be holy so be holy now listen to this in all manner of conversation because it is written be holy because it's written for I am be holy. holy for I am holy now this word conversation all manner of conversation the word conversation simply means Manner of life, behavior, conduct. So think about what he said. You need to be holy or be separate in all manner of lifestyle. It doesn't mean what you say. It's the way you live. So in every aspect of your life, not just, well, don't hate your brother and don't tell lies. But in every aspect of your life, you need to be separate from the rest of the world. You need to be different. I'll never forget being at a, at a, a concert. Supposedly Christian concert. My wife and I stand there among the crowd and the, 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 the singer spoke to me and he said he didn't use these exact words but basically what he was saying was you're apostolic aren't you 
And I just smiled. I said, how'd you guess? He said, you got that look about you. Now, look, I'm not throwing stones at anybody, but do you think there is any other church group that they could have just picked out of the crowd? I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to look different. I'm not ashamed to be different. This is what God wants of us. He commanded us to be separate. And then he said, I'll be your father and you'll be my sons and daughters. I want to be able to call him my father and I want him to call me his son. I want to look like him. I'm not embarrassed. When I, I, I went back and saw some relatives some years back and, and a cousin of mine, she looked at me and, 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 and she, she just shook her head and just went on and on about how much I look like my dad. Well, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not embarrassed about that. I am my father's son. I should look like my father or my mother. There ought to be a resemblance. That's the way it's supposed to work. And the same thing is true spiritually. I want to look like my heavenly father. And I want there to be a resemblance, Brother Nelson, with my heavenly mother. You know who our heavenly mother is? The church. The bride of Christ. I want to be identified with the church. I want to look like the rest of the church. I want to fit in with the rest of the church. You know, if, if I'm out here on the street and I'm in trouble, I want to be able to look around and find a uniform and know you can help me because you got on the uniform. Or you've got that look about you right what's wrong with a world that is in trouble being able to just look around and say hey there's something different about you you can help me I see the way you look I see the way you appear I see how you carry yourself there's something different about you you can help me Be ye separate, saith the Lord. Let's stand and lift our hands to the Lord right now. Can we commit ourselves right where we are right now? God, I want to be holy like you. I want to be separate from this world. I don't want to be like the rest of the world. I want to look different. I want to act different. I want to talk different. I want to walk different. I want to go different places. I want to read different things. I want to listen to different things. I don't want to be like the rest of the world. Oh, come on. Let's talk to him. Let's talk to him. I know I've gone a little over tonight, but let's talk to him right now. Come on, right where you are, can you just make a commitment to God? Lord, I'm going to be different. I'm going to separate myself unto you, unto your work, to your kingdom. Come on, let's talk to him.